The Guardian. Hello, I'm Matt Wells. This is Media Talk. Coming up, internet royalty. We meet Arianna Huffington and her new boss, AOL's Tim Armstrong. Really like getting off a high-speed train and getting on a superjet. We'll have all the latest news from The Guardian's Changing Media Summit and... Analyser fra Retsmedicins tyder på, at han har leget med hende. Han har lavet hende løbe. It's four years old, it's in Danish, and the main character sports a staid choice of knitwear. So why is The Killing the must-watch TV of 2011? This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Uh, spring has sprung and sporting garlands of fresh flowers around their microphones. Uh, we have The Guardian's Head of Media and Technology, Dan Saber, and James Robinson, Media Editor at The Observer. How are you chaps? How are you, Dan? Very well, if a bit confused, I think. It's confused? Been, it's been a rather busy day. Well, we've, had, we've had Ariana in, yes. and Tim Armstrong too, as you say. Yeah. Uh, quite an extraordinary visit, uh, morning conference. I yes, think. absolutely. We'll, we'll get onto that in a bit. How are you, James? Are you well? Brilliant. Very clear-headed. Haven't had a drink for two weeks. Clear-headed? I know, I usually do this show with a chronic hangover. Do you know, I have a bit of a hangover. So it's my turn. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The tables have turned. The tables have turned. Yes, but we'll, we'll we'll be fine. We'll get we'll get we'll get through it. Well, let's start with the aforementioned big names in digital. Arianna Huffington uh, is a former senator's wife, firstly Republican, now Democrat. She founded the Huffington Post, a pioneering blogging site in the United States that became one of the most influential political websites. Uh, and she sold it to uh, AOL in February in a deal that surprised media commentators. Since then, they've taken on Twitter's founder Biz Stone as an advisor been embroiled in a war of words with the New York Times uh, about aggregation, since you ask, and of course faced accusations of having betrayed those writers and bloggers who gave their content for free. Well, uh, she and Tim Armstrong were here at The Guardian this week for The Guardian's Changing Media Summit, and I caught up with them both. I asked Ariana, first of all, why she'd got into bed with a company many regarded as a basket case. Maybe it was before Tim Armstrong became the CEO, but in the last year and a half since he's taken over, he's been dramatically... Uh, changing uh, how AOL has been operating and the fact that he was willing to bring in uh, the Huffington Post and really disrupt his own business and bet on the fact that content and producing great journalism was going to be driving uh, the new AOL was very significant. Well, what is your ambition? What, what can you do now that you wouldn't have been able to do before? Well, really, all the things that I wanted to do at the Huffington Post and had started doing, I can now do in a much more accelerated way. Uh, it's really like getting off a high-speed train and getting on a superjet. And uh, Tim calls it having money, guns and steel to be able to execute the vision that I had, which uh, before you know, was much more incremental because, you know, if I wanted to go into local, I launched four sites. Now, you know, AOL already with Patch is in 900 towns. We can keep adding and therefore reaching out into the communities at the very moment when people are focusing more and more on local. Are your ambitions international? I mean, well, we already have an office here and uh, we would love here, here to... Here in London. Sorry, yes, yeah. here in London. And we would love to expand in many countries. We want to, first of all, start by bringing the Huffington Post into the UK as well as Canada, which is where we already are. Before the AOL merger, 
We were looking at Brazil. We had the Huffington Post. We'd love to go to Brazil. Latin America is just at an amazing moment. At the moment, we'd like to be there to capture it. Talk to me a bit about paywalls. Uh, the New York Times has put up a paywall. Some have called it a pay hedge. The Times of London has put up a very, very clear paywall. There does seem to be a, a you know, two ways in which people are going. Which, which way are you going? Uh, we are betting on free. Uh, we are betting on the fact that the new technologies are so clearly in favor of the linked economy, so clearly in favor of general news and opinion and information being free, that anything else seems to really go against the grain. Doesn't that mean, however, that you're not ever going to be able to have enough money to do what you want? Isn't it the case that if you give your, your, your stuff away for free, it devalues the content that you have, and ultimately you won't be able to make money? Well, we are actually, again, betting on advertising. So advertising is the model. AOL has introduced also a lot of interesting, innovative ways to bring up the value of our advertising. Ariana Huffington. Uh, while she sailed off down one direction in the corridor, uh, up came Tim Armstrong, the uh, chief executive of AOL. So I asked him uh, what he got out of the deal from his point of view. I think the biggest thing is we want to cons- have consumers get wonderful experiences from us on well-known brands. And I think the Huffington Post represents a news and information brand of the future and something that when we combine that with the rest of our brands at AOL, we think augments our, our strategy to really be, become more and more powerful. And as consumers get more devices, uh, brands are going to become more important on those devices to understand how to navigate and get information. So we think it's a big win for Huffington Post and a big win for AOL. And so this is clearly a bet on content, isn't it? And is this the, the ideal? You, you want to turn AOL into a content business? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, AOL's been a long transition. It was inside of Time Warner for the last 10 years, and we spun it out at uh, the end of 2009 as a public company. And I think, you know, we've been cutting against what the I think the general population in the business world thinks is going to be successful. I think a lot of people have co- counted content out. And I think we have the exact opposite view, which is I think content is going to end up being king because as the devices become less and less differentiated over time and the platforms are less differentiated, the content is the thing that differentiates uh, experiences for consumers. So I, I really am a big believer in content. So why, why the Huffington Post and not the New York Times or, or whatever? Because I think the Huffington Post represents uh, what the internet looks like in the future. I think that one of the things Huffington Post brings is social distribution through social media, Facebook and Twitter and those things. It would be hard for anyone to argue those things aren't as becoming as important as search or any of the other distribution methods. And I think Huffington Post represents on the technology side one of the most up-to-date systems for where the internet will be in the next 10 years. And I think, you know, there's other big brands we thought about and looked at, but the Huffington Post was a combination of excellent journalism, excellent brand, excellent technology and future distribution. You've been at the Guardian this morning and you've been giving some uh, some astonishing statistics. You say you're hiring 1,200 journalists. And uh, to us, that's like that's a hell of a lot. Um, what are you going to be doing with all of those people? Sure. So in uh, 2010, we hired about uh, 1,200 journalists total. and So you've got them already? We have them already, yeah. And, uh, and we're hiring more. We just hired uh, about 30 in the last two weeks. And we're basically using them to build out these brands. So I think, you know, whether it's TechCrunch or Engadget or Autoblog or whether it's our local property patch in the United States or whether it's Huffington Post, um, we're bringing these journalists in to basically fill out bigger and bigger sections of content for people, richer, deeper areas. And I think, you know, you'll see us continue to invest in content as we go forward. And I, I, I would hope that we end up being one of the largest digital content companies for the future. 
You got uh, beaten around a bit um, because of a leaked memo that, uh, that came out a short time ago. The AOL way uh, sounded like um, it was presented as a vision for, uh, for content farming. A lot of journalists didn't like it very much. Um, what, what's, your, what's your response to the way that was interpreted? Yeah, the uh, AOL way really is kind of the internet way, which is using having journalists use technology to enhance the experiences we give for consumers. So AOL is not a content farm. We don't want to be a content farm. We want to be a high-quality, high-scale uh, digital operation. Operation. And, uh, you know, just to be direct about it, the AOL way was meant for our teams internally that hadn't adapted and adopted the Internet way of doing uh, content to get them to do that. I think the Huffington Post and the other companies that have been very successful, high scale, and some of our properties that have been high scale and successful use uh, kind of an Internet way of doing content. And I think that's really, you know, was for us the, the way what we we're hoping I mean, to That's quite astonishing, an admission that an Internet company wasn't doing things in the Internet way. Yeah, well, you've, uh, if you don't admit what you don't do well, you can't get better. And I think, uh, you know, we're, we're a company that was losing $20 million a year in our news and finance business. And, you know, that's not acceptable for us as uh, being a public company and really trying to provide great experiences for consumers. Tim Armstrong of AOL there and Ariane Huffington before him. Let's start with him first, because he's almost more interesting, I think, isn't he? Because he's the guy with all the money. And it's interesting to hear him admit that AOL was a rubbish business. Well, he had to really, didn't he? I mean, this is a company that's got serious problems. This is, it's relying still on dial-up internet access for a too high proportion of its revenue. That's been leaking away for years and years. And it's made several attempts to sort of buy into a whole range of things like Bebo, for example, and that's not worked out. What, what Tim's done, I think, is he's brought... He's been brave. He's brought a real coherence to it. He's essentially trying to bet on journalism and, you know, on on, on quality content, which is sort of. And fr- he's upfront about it. They're making themselves into a content company. That's yeah. what they want to do. Yeah, and for, I think for us in newspapers, this is quite heartening. But almost the rest of the world would think this is bizarre strategy. You know, this is not about user-generated content. So he's gone and paid a very rich price for for Ariana Huffington's company, and really, I think for her. But he talks about journalism with tremendous enthusiasm. A little bit, I think, naive enthusiasm, dare I say it, but with with sort of tremendous excitement. I took him around the newsroom after the after you interviewed him there, and he seemed to be genuinely thrilled to see the Guardian newsroom. Whilst I would say it's a great thing, on the other hand, he, he you know, when he took a picture of it, I did think this is a bunch of desks and a, and a <laughs> load of folks working, and it wasn't quite as brilliant as he thought. Ariana Huffington, James, she is a fascinating person. People no, are seduced by her, aren't they? Well, it's a wonderful story, isn't it? Someone sets up small sites, sells, you know, it's a typical internet story. And it's something that lots of journalists wish they'd done themselves. And indeed, some have, you know, Nick Denton and others. Mm. Nick Denton, a former FT. And, um, uh, you know, so it's it's compelling. I mean, I wasn't in conference where, uh, to hear Ariana's address. Peroration. But I did notice that <laughs> there was a few hundred journalists squeezed in there. I think more journalists than the last time we had a a big name journalist in Harold Evans. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all thinking if we ask a very intelligent question, maybe I can get a job on the hour. I, yeah, because she's, she's hiring. Because she's hiring. But, I mean, it's, no, but it is, it, yeah, she is interesting. I mean, the thing is, you can't, you know, you can only create a site like that if you're a well-connected person to start with. That's the point. She's trading on her contacts and her reputation as a socialite and yeah. so on. So, uh, and I think it's interesting that AOL, and they have been engaged in this content-led recovery, as Dan says, have signed up the Huffington Post. I mean, it's not that. I think it's I always think of it as a brand that's well known amongst. I'm trying to think of a better phrase than the, the liberal elite. Yes, I mean it's not the New York Times, is it? It's not. It's yeah. not the New York Post. It's not. Well, I thought it was quite surprising that they snapped. Up. I mean, of course, the New York Times isn't for sale at this, let alone at, at, even at the price they paid for Huffington Post. But I thought you know a tie up with a more yeah. traditional news organisation, which already has foreign correspondents all around the world. 
for example, might have made more sense. Yeah, well, Tim Armstrong said that that um, that, that he uh, the reason he picked picked Huffington down was because they get the internet and other people don't get don't get the internet. Yeah, he did say that. I thought that was a pretty simplistic distinction, really. I mean, he, he talked a lot about people who don't get the internet or people who get the internet in quote marks y- y- using his fingers. I, again, I just felt a little bit sort of like, yeah, that's kind of a bit of an obvious point. I, I th- why do I think he's bought the Huffington Post? I think, firstly, he bought it because he could. It was available. As James said, the New York Times isn't available. Nor, nor sadly is the Guardian perhaps even at 10 times sales so he did it because he could he did it because she's got an incredible force of personality she's built that thing up from nothing she's a great brand to have on board and he's transformed the conversation about his company now everyone previously everyone was saying how on earth can you turn around AOL now everyone's saying well Tim Armstrong's got a strategy we don't know if it's going to work but this is a ma- this is not a man without an idea yeah, alright uh, interesting stuff well they're both here for as I said for the Guardian Changing Media Summit which has been taking place uh, here uh, at the Guardian this week, and the, the first keynote speech was from Adam Crozier, who's the chief executive of ITV, uh, and I caught up with him afterwards. Adam Crozier, you've been speaking to the Changing Media Summit about your strategy for growth. It's looking good. Uh, are you benefiting just from a cyclical upturn in, in, the, in the advertising in the industry, or, or is it something different, do you think, that you're going to have to do? Uh, well, we've been very clear that we want to rebalance ITV as a business. It's absolutely, it helps that the market over the last year has been recovering from a low. But, you know, the reality is that the revenue uh, last year was roughly equivalent to that in 2006 and actually roughly equivalent to that in 1999. So what you have is a very volatile income source in advertising and that's why we want to rebalance the business away from that. Of course in the meantime we want to continue to outperform the advertising market but start to develop new revenue streams at the same time and that's really what our our transformation strategy is all about. 96% of viewing is still on traditional linear media so so does that mean then that you don't need to do anything that that the core business remains the same or, or are there big changes that you have to make to take advantage of digital? No, there's, there's a lot of changes we have to make. Uh, you know, 94% of viewing is still uh, on linear television. Uh, only 1% is video on demand, around 6% on catch-up. And that's great. Our digital channels are amongst the few that are still growing uh, very well, which is terrific. But equally, uh, a key part of our strategy is to make more of our own great content, but then make it available across many, many more platforms. So up until recently, ITV Player was only available in very few places. Recently, we've launched it on Freesat, on Sony PlayStation 3. Over the next two or three months, we'll be launching it uh, on tablets and on mobiles, and over the course of the year on connected TVs and other games consoles, because we want to make our current content, our catch-up content and our archive content available to many, many more people. And then, of course, next year we have the launch of UView in early 2012, which is a very important part of that strategy as well. Adam Crozier there. Is he the saviour of, of, of ITV or is the upturn in the advertising market the, the saviour of ITV? Well, the upturn certainly helped, or at least the upturn there has been. The shares were knocked, actually, that day after when he performed because uh, people are rather worried about May and it looks like the, the head of steam that had built up uh, in the ad market is is, is shuddering to a halt, if I get away with that mixed metaphor. So, head of a, steam sh- shuddering to a halt. Yeah, that was terrible. That was appalling, I know. Yeah. Look, Q2 is looking pretty bad, uh, or, or at least pretty worrisome, I think, now. 
and how that goes on into the rest of the year, given what's happening in terms of the broader economic environment. Retailers are not advertising quite as much. Consumer confidence is, being, is going down. So has Adam Crozier solved any of ITV's fundamental problems uh, in the short time he's been there that will allow him to weather that cyclical decline? Answer, not, no. He's got a five-year plan, though, James, hasn't he? It's too early to say, isn't it? It's done intimated. But there's scant evidence of a paid-for strategy. You know, that, I mean, the predecessors have put it in place, but their digital channels are now starting to perform well. You know, They've got reasonable good content, they've got good audiences, and they've got strong brands. You know, you couldn't charge for any of those clearly. So it's the $64,000 know, question in media, isn't it? Charging for anything, what can you charge for? How can you charge for it? Well, you know, the, the, it's a free business. Yes. It's a free-to-air yeah. business. It's, it's always been a free business. I mean, he, it's he, just he, impossible to, to imagine what they could possibly charge for. The, uh, he did say, didn't he, Dan, uh, that uh, that they are going to start introducing charges for for some on, online content later this year, but it is difficult to see what, the, what that's going to be and who will pay. Because Channel 4 tried it and, the, and it didn't work. Correct. And it's hard to imagine it's going to be transformative. What, you know, what, what are they going to make people pay for? Sort of extra Susan Boyle songs or something like that? I mean, <laughs> Previews of Corrie, you know, before it's aired on Terrestrial, maybe. I mean, but uh, maybe, but you'd want it, It's pennies. It really is. You're talking pennies. And, you? and you'd probably want to wait for the free Corrie. I think that that's the problem for ITU, which is, is, is that what it needs is a sort of transformational move, or maybe it just needs to be bought by somebody else who's got a sort of portfolio of assets and it can, it can diversify by default. Okay, that's ITV's digital strategy done. What about everyone else's? I assembled a trio of experts at the Changing Media Summit after one of the sessions there. Kate Bulkley is a media journalist. Uh, Jean Hoffman is the chief executive of Vindicia. And first up, Richard Davison Houston, who's the head of online at Channel 4. Uh, I put it to him, uh, the figure that Adam Crozier had quoted in his keynote speech, which is that 96% of television viewing still takes place on traditional television sets. So uh, really, we're only talking about what is a minority business here. We are talking about a minority, but not insignificant part of the television business. But I don't disagree with Adam that linear television and watching at the time that the broadcasters choose is the dominant way of consuming TV and will remain so. Gene, your business is predicated on, on there being more online viewing. Is it concerning or do you see this as a big opportunity? Well, I think it's also a regional issue. In North America, the adoption curve is much stronger on the non-linear move. And some of that is DVR penetration originally in North America. Um, DVR was a much more capable concept there. You know, TiVo launched there. Um, every major satellite and cable provider had to absolutely go that direction. So the users in the United States have a very different use case, especially the premium and the leadership users in a sense. Okay, do you imagine that, 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 that this is a trend that's going to be growing here or if you're gazing into your crystal ball as you often do? I think that it definitely is a growing trend. I think we're going to see a lot more online viewing. And I think that even Adam Kreuzer admitted <laughs> that he has to get his act together and figure out what to do with online because he doesn't want to be hostage to one revenue stream, which is advertising. I mean, no broadcaster does, really, in their right mind. So, yes, it's small now. It's going to grow. Connected devices are growing. We've got the UView will finally launch, hopefully, next year. But before that, there'll be lots of other stuff. We've got Love Film. Netflix is coming. I mean... It's all happening. Yeah. So, uh, so at Channel 4, what do you worry about when you wake up in the morning? Is it how to monetize this or is it how creatively to exploit it or, I guess, a combination of both? Things that worry us in the morning are which device to choose next. You have constant prioritization. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> as many as we can, I guess, up to a point. But the, the economics of this space are not, are not infinite. We're, uh, or the availability of money is not infinite. We're dealing with a market which in many ways has all the hallmarks of novelty and scarcity and one has to be a little bit a little bit cautious about how that's going to play out in the future. Hmm. So um, do you see uh, opportunities, Gene, for people you, you work with creatively, or are they commercial opportunities, and are people taking advantage of them to the extent that you think they ought to be? 
Well, I think the challenge is that people often approach this without thinking about it creatively. The issue really being that these are services that people are having to go to instead of just simply selling content. Mm. In fact, I think mistakes are often made when people think about just making content available instead of thinking through you know, what, how, and why am I delivering an improved experience for the end user. And uh, who's getting it right, Kate, do you think, at the, uh, at the moment? Who's, who's hedged their bets in the, in, the, in the right area? From the broadcaster side, I think they all need to do a little more work, um, and I think that they realize that. On the other hand, you know, they've got to look at their traditional business model, which is still very strong, and as we started out with this conversation, obviously most people are still watching on regular old tellies. In terms of the new players that are getting it right, I mean, I'm a great fan of Netflix. I think it's a very powerful model that's going on in the U.S. They have 20 million subscribers. They're on track to get to 30 million. They've got people who come back. There's huge dwell time. I mean, it's amazing what they're doing. And they just blew up the model a couple of days ago when they said they would start commissioning original content. Mm. I mean, that's huge. That's mm. a huge step. I mean, Netflix, it was a DVD postal rental thing. Mm. Now it's an online you know, distributor of content. So I think that you look at things like that, that's what all the traditional broadcasters have to be looking at as the new players. Uh, and, and Gene, who do you tip? Well, I look at both Netflix and Boxy and the way that those things bring things together. I mean, the thing almost not even so spoken about in some senses is, you know, there's this console play in the middle of all this. So people are using their gaming devices in many cases to access the content we're talking about. It's not clear to me that those are separate channels. In fact, you know, Xbox 360 ends up competing with Boxy and with Apple TV long term. You know, are you going to play Angry Birds on your 60-inch flat panel? And the answer is yes, and then you're going to tune in a movie or, you know, Dexter, but all of a sudden CBS says you can't have Dexter. Hmm. Interesting problem. Yeah. What's your, your next big idea uh, online on Channel 4? What, what should we, we be looking out for? We're looking for not just TV, but the TV, as well as distributing television content in appropriate ways, and uh, so long as it's uh, economically viable. What can people do with their televisions that today they can't? The question we have to ask ourselves is, well, what's going to be the Angry Birds equivalent for a connected television? Mm -hmm. And uh, the answer is we don't know. And Channel 4 sees that it's, uh, we see it as our responsibility to find the resources to work with the creative industry to start to answer difficult, interesting questions like that. Okay, we'll leave that there. Uh, you can keep up to date with all the latest media news at guardian.co.uk slash media. And there's even a video interview with Ariana Huffington if you're really that excited about her. Uh, time to round, round up some of the other media stories from the past seven days. Richard Desmond has uh, said, well, it is apparently, Dan, willing to entertain offers for the Daily Express. Uh, this would be interesting. Why does he want to get a shot of the newspapers? Ah, that's a very interesting question. He's bought Channel 5. People say his priorities have changed. He's, re he's remarried and got a new kid and maybe he's feeling a, thinking a bit differently about life. Although knowing him, I think maybe a more realistic take on it is maybe he's seeing five, eight years out and thinking I've made quite a lot of money out of papers and so forth and maybe it's time to sell but but this has been a very hard story to pin down i mean quite interesting because there are the rumors about this last week that barclays capital had been retained perhaps to sort of look at selling the magazines initially the desmond camp was playing this right down saying they've got a speculative pitch from barclays and you shouldn't take it you know nothing will happen but but the mood music has changed a bit and and well barclays haven't got a mandate exactly but if they could drum up an interesting bid then at least richard would at least listen to it but, but who would buy uh, james who, who would buy the, the express yeah it's, it's not it, entirely clear well it. would it be private equity i mean i don't know if anyone would i mean yeah. the thing is he, he's proved very adept he's got a great business plan which is not fantastic for journalists or journalism arguably which is you know take a declining asset and strip out the cost faster than the sales fall I mean, that's yes. what he does. Yeah. I mean, actually, Desmond is usually touted as the only buyer in town because he has got cash. I'm not convinced he is going to sell them anyway. Mm. Obviously, the Channel 5 
purchase is uh, an opportunity for synergies and creating a, a, a sort of mini Murdoch empire in the UK. And I think, you know, Richard Desmond actually does see himself as the next Rupert Murdoch in the UK. Okay. I, do, I think that's where, he's, that's where he's heading and that's where he wants to spend the next 10, 15 years of his life doing so to break up the empire. I'm sceptical as to whether that will happen, I have to see. What's all this, Dan, about News International planning an imitation of the eye? There's a project team over there. We're not 110% sure what they're working on. But, but, they're, but plot- they're doing something. They're that's what the, the, the rumour mill has it, and, and, and there's certainly something in the rumour, and it, indeed it may even be true. They're, they are looking at a new printed product. It looks like it's some kind of time's light from what we can piece together. What's also clear is nothing's happening Yet, it's being run or led by Fergus Shanahan, significantly former deputy to the Sound. Very intriguing. News are confirming that there has been there's a project. There has been a project team. There's a project on the go, but no one's pressed the green light. To, and to not, and not all these. I mean, these things happen often, don't they, in in um, media groups, and they don't often. They don't always come to fruition. But but that would be interesting if that did. did ha- happens all the time. And I think what's interesting is that the I selling at 175,000 has done a little bit better than people thought. It's proven that there is some sort of audience out there. Maybe those sort of metro readers, a kind of mid-market audience. And maybe there's a way to reach them. I mean, maybe with another free sheet arrival to Metro, I don't know. But there's something interesting going on. News is interest has been pricked by the by Do, the do, you, buy the, do you buy the eye? Yeah, no, totally. I'm yeah. Su- uh, do I buy the eye? Yes. The eye, actually, the do I buy the eye? Do I physically go out yes. and buy it from a news agent? Yes, no, of course I don't, no. No. <laughs> uh, no, I have bought it on occasion. I think it's very, very good, actually. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like it enough to buy it. I think it, no, I do buy it. I probably buy it once a, once a fortnight or something. I mean, you know, yeah. the, I have professional reason to do so. But despite that, I think it's very good. And it's no surprise, is it, that one hundred seventy thousand is about the level where you think, well, hang on, this this could be worth aping. Would be worth mm. copying. I mean, but as you say, the, these things don't always get off the ground. We remember that lads mag we tr- we tried to launch, Matt. Yes, <laughs> that didn't happen. It didn't um, happen. Also, this week, uh, uh, news has been leaking out. Talking about talking about news leaking out with uh, uh, lots of leaks. This one from the BBC uh, to do with the cost cutting measures that are being uh, considered, ideas that that, uh, that are being considered. The latest one seems to be that overnight programmes on BBC One and BBC Two could be axed. We wouldn't miss them, would we, James? No, absolutely not. I'm always on Babe Station at that time of night. No, sorry. Um, <laughs> Um, after Newsnight, yeah, there's nothing worth watching. I mean, it's a classic BBC, I'm, you know, ruse though, isn't it? Oh, we might have to axe, you know, overnight television, meaning anything from 10.30 onwards. You honestly think they're going to do that? But, I mean, well, they're not going to axe. I mean, um, Graham Norton's on a 10.35 on yeah, Friday. That's, they're not going to get rid of that. But, you know, if, if it's... Uh, what time do they go over to News 24? I mean, I'm it's, sure they it's one, one o'clock. o'clock. Yeah, yeah. It's a, just, it's a versionary tactic, isn't it? Well, here's loads of things we might do, and actually, in the meantime, they've probably got a plan for what they're actually going to do while we all scramble around and look at the... the, the the, the things that they won't ever do. Thompson we'll does seem to be keen to make a fair whack of cuts. He needs to, uh, uh, doesn't he? So he's looking for, for biggish ideas, although he seems to have ruled out closing services. Yeah, he, he, he's looking for, yeah, medium, yeah, biggish is a good way of putting it, medium-sized ideas Thompson's looking at. And uh, I mean, this sort of thing about cutting overnight programming, well, it, it would be a nice thought if they would do it as as the BBC suggests, which would be they want, they want to save 150 million by cutting it from all programming from 10.30 or 10.35. They're clearly not going to do that they're clearly not going to cut shows between sort of half 10 and say half 11 or 12 o'clock so they're not going to achieve 150 million in savings but you know it looks like it makes him look like he's being moderately bold I guess I'm, I'm rather cynical about this whole exercise as, as James has touched on this earlier it, it, you know an awful lot of ideas have been thrown out they, none of them are so drastic that people will be marching on broadcasting house or even sending mildly outraged letters to the Daily Telegraph but the question is how many of them are actually achievable and how many of them are actually doable and I'm not convinced that uh, you know anything like as many are 
Well, or, you know, maybe we should ask our uh, army of listeners yes. to, to contribute their own ideas. Yes, I'm sure they'll have excellent ideas. We'll leave all that there. You can read more on all these stories at uh, mediaguardian.co.uk. Uh, and we end this week with a bit of a TV roundup. I'm delighted to say that uh, The Guardian's TV editor, Vicky Frost, has joined us in the pod. Hello, Vicky. How are you? Hello. I'm all right. Thanks. I, I thought we'd talk, talk a bit of TV. Yeah, lovely. Excellent. Um, and the reason I wanted to talk to you was because there's a bit of uh, internet chatter going around. Apparently, we're supposed to be watching this Danish show that's on BBC. What is it? BBC 88 or something? BBC 4? <laughs> yeah, that's right. What is BBC it? BBC 4. There's a little bit of internet chatter. Not much, of course. Uh, suggesting we should all be watching The Killing yes. on BBC 4, which comes to an end on Saturday. Uh, we're a bit late to this party. A bit, yes. <laughs> what, 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 what is it about? It's kind of a Danish thriller, crime drama about a murdered teenager. There's a big political aspect to it. There's a brilliant female cop. It's all very twisty, turny, lots of red herrings. It's fantastic. It's very slow. It's played out over 22 episodes. We've had it in double episodes every week. And it's brilliant. And nobody really knows what the answer is. And we still... We'll, we'll, we'll find out. You know, you know what the answer the is. Where they ha- even the actors don't know what happens at the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they sort of filmed it before it had been fully... Mm. It started being transmitted before they'd finished filming and before they'd seen all the scripts. It's a bit like uh, State of Play meets Wallander meets Prime Suspect. On a pig farm. On a pig farm. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of like that. I mean, it is really just like very grown-up drama. Uh, in terms of crime drama, it's very interesting. It focuses a lot on the family of the murdered girl rather than them just disappearing off straight away. It's a female detective, but she doesn't manage to fall in love with the first man who like right. comes her way. So it, it's very well done. It's quite dark. Uh, it's quite scary if you watch it on your own. <laughs> I quite like the fact that BBC4 is picking up uh, you know, these decent uh, European... Well, there's two. They've had two, haven't they? They've had that French... I've forgotten the name of it. Spiral. The, that's, well, that's the one, which I quite... I like that. It's back straight after Excellent. this finishes. Uh, it'll be in the same... And well, Volander, didn't they start Volander? Yes, the, 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 the original version of... Yeah. So there's what? a few. There's three. Yes. Yeah. They, they see it as quite a progression. Era. They sort of say we had Spiral, then we had Volander. And they've actually... They've had some Montalbano, if you read those... So it is a progression, I suppose, of uh, Euro crime. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and what, uh, what, what, what about the knitwear? There's a, there's a thing about knitwear, isn't there? Yeah, what? yeah. She wears, uh, she wears sort of one of those, I always think of them as, as Icelandic jumpers rather than Danish, but, you know, it's very sort of chunky, hand-knitted, patterned jumpers. Uh, they was knitted on the Faroe Islands, apparently. Oh, really? Right. Yes, and they've become quite a craze, but they're enormously expensive. They're like hundreds and hundreds of pounds. It's, it finishes this weekend. Uh, they're, cert- they're certainly all on, on the Virgin Media catch-up thing, because because I checked. Uh, I also wanted to ask you about, we're all now supposed to be uh, watching Silk because it, it is quite, it turns out to be quite good. James, you... you, you I like you, it. Yes. But I'm, you know, easily pleased. I've, right. I've liked it from the beginning. It basically, if everyone listened everyone said to it was rubbish at the beginning. I didn't say it was rubbish right. at the beginning. If everyone listened to me, they'd all have been watching The Killing and Silk, it would all have been fine. Um, it wasn't great at the beginning, but it has got better. I mean, it's still quite soapy, but that's fun, I think. Yeah. I quite like to see a bit of sort of legal soap with... Maxine Peake being fabulous in it and uh, Rupert Pendry Jones sort of pouting a bit. That's yeah. marvellous. Yeah, well, I thought, I thought, yeah, I think it's soapy. I, I watched Corrie. I mean, I thought, I thought it was challenging. <laughs> I was taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, are, are, you, are you rising above all this, Dan? Or, or, or? No, I've watched neither. And so uh, I, I want to watch Killing, but I was, it was got to about episode eight when I realised how, how good it was. And then I carried on watching my West Wing box set. Um, yeah. So I'm hoping for a DVD or repeats on BBC Two, Vicky. Can you use your influence here? 
The, I know the box set's out soon. Oh, that means there won't be any repeats on BBC Two or. I haven't heard of any repeats on BBC Two. Um, these are serious. The, the problem there's been loads of great television on over the last couple of months, and, and as a result of which, I've got lots stacked on my iPlayer, like yeah. Treme, like Treme, and the new series of Thirty Rock, and I've watched none of them because I'm overwhelmed by the amount of choice I've got, and I've mm-hmm. stayed with the West Wing series uh, seven. Any other top TV tips that, tips while you're here? Uh, the Crimson Petal in the White, which is BBC Two's extremely racy. Uh, new period drama with uh, Romola Garive. That's how we say her name. James is writing this down. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, was it the racy bit? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that, that's what caught his eye. That's coming up. That's very good. And the hour is also coming on BBC Two because they've sort of this is their sort of new programs coming through after their big investment on BBC Two drama. So the hour is sort of. Uh, it's kind of got this Mad Men. It's it's the fifties, the uh, sixties in um, in a broadcasting newsroom. Oh, fabulous! Yes, that yeah. sounds great. It will be great. Okay, I'm sure. well, I'm definitely watching that. Thank you, Vicky. Uh, time to go. Uh, before we shoot off, um, James and Dan, uh, give us a parting pearl of wisdom. What, what have you learnt this week, uh, Dan? I've learned that Ariana Huffington. Well, I haven't learned it. I've seen how much Ariana Huffington's really in charge. Did you, you see the bit with the water? I did see the bit with the water. So this the, is back to so when she came into the editorial uh, meeting. They came into her conference in the morning, and she was sitting at the front, and he was sitting at the front, and she asked her assistant for some water, and the assistant snuck out and got some water, and then she put it in front of Tim for about 20 minutes, and then Tim didn't drink any of the water, and then she just took it away and drank it herself. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that, that's not as demeaning as Danny Alexander on the on budget day. Did you see that? No, go on. Danny, Danny Alexander received, was sitting next to Osborne and received a note from the back benches and he read it and it clearly said, Osborne's struggling, get him some water. So then he had to very deferentially pour him some water <laughs> and then pass him the water, which looked absolutely awful. She put it on every, a Labour Party should put it on every single leaflet that dear, they send out. Dear, dear. I learned that Ariana Huffington doesn't do her own tweets, or she, certainly not all of them. Shocking. Do you know that same assistant who got her the water, she was doing the tweeting as well? I think there's, that's a future model for employment. I, I as, that, as our economy runs out of jobs, people need their own personal Twitters, and we should not <laughs> criticise. I think it's something to aspire to, very, isn't it? Very yeah. Keynesian, yeah, and absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, we want, uh, do you want to know what I learned? Go on, yes, it's yes. also about Aaron Huffington, yeah. which was that uh, Alan Bennett was incredibly rude about her. Did you, did you have heard no. this quote? He said, before she was Ariana Huffington, I think she was Ariana... Stephanopoulos. Uh, Stephanopoulos, yeah. yeah. He said, uh, Ariana Huffington is so tedious that you fall asleep before she'd even, even finished reading out her name. Oh, that's terrible. Which that is, is horrible. Terrible. I'm, I'm totally... That is, a, that is not a view I share, no, obviously. It's not, not, a, not a view You had share. to get it out, though, Yeah, you? thank you very much. Uh, th- thank you very much to, uh, to Vicky, to Dan and to James. Uh, that's it from this edition of uh, Media Talk, producer Ian Chambers. I'm Matt Wells. See you soon. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.